All right, you ready? Ready, ready. Let's do it. What's up, guys and gals? Welcome to episode 54. That's episode 5-4 of the What Makes Us Human podcast right here. Is John Lindeman and over there is J.R. Parks. J.R., how are you? I'm doing well. I, you know, unfortunately, I watched the Braves lose another game earlier this earlier this afternoon. But uh, you know, other than that, it's just been pretty good. It's kind of weird sometimes to do this intro when we've been talking for like 50 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how are you? <laughs> yeah, we sat we sat down and got off on a tangent. And yeah, yeah, that was 45 minutes ago. Yeah, and then a co-tangent and then a sign. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about a bunch since we've sat down. Yep. Yes. Our esteemed producer, Hannah, is with us today. Hannah, how are you? Tired. Tired. But here. Tired. Now, Hannah is sporting a shirt that's burgundy in color. says, no farm, no foul, and it's got a big old chicken in between no farm and no foul. Now, is that your new logo that you've been designing? No, but it's in honor of the fact that we sold, what, 15 dozen eggs last week? Yep. Dang. Yep, it was a good week for selling eggs. I'm proud of my chickens. Man, them girls are putting putting eggs out, ain't they? Yep. They tired, too. Wow. Let's see. 12 times 12 is 144 plus. That's 180 eggs. Yep. Wow. That's, that's a lot of eggs. Yep. So uh, people eating a lot of breakfast around your area? I guess. Uh, I had... Uh, we had one, one guy that bought four dozen, and I couldn't figure out why one person wanted four dozen eggs. Is he single? Um, kind of. To you, it's Um, Maybe he gives them to the homeless. And, uh, yeah, another lady who told me, hey, I go through two dozen eggs a week, so just, you know, call me when you got one. Okay. So Very nice. You know, it was... You know, other than that, it was mostly, hey, we'll take a dozen or we'll take two dozen. It was it was a little more, you know, one-off kind of things. But. Now, how long can Henrietta Hen keep popping these boogers out? Uh, it depends on the the, the breed of chicken. Um, the, the ones that are, like, bred to lay eggs, so they lay basically an egg a day. Okay. They'll lay for a couple years and either stop laying or die. Um, how many chickens do you have? Eleven right now. Well, girls putting out some eggs. So, I hear you, girls. Wow. But uh, do you have a rooster? We do not. No rooster. No. Okay. No unsolicited baby chicks. Yeah, you know what do they call pullets? Is that what you call a baby chick? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, at least baby female chicks or yeah. pullets. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, what's yeah. a baby male chick? Uh, cockerel. But yeah, it's a. Uh, the other ones that are more dual purpose, maybe don't lay quite as many eggs, will live longer um, and lay eggs for longer. Okay. So it's kind of a, I guess it's, if you get more, you get them for fewer years or whatever. But Now, do you ever trade. come home and get a hankering for chicken and look at one of the girls and say, oh, this is the day? Uh, they're too valuable right now. When they stop laying, they can go in the freezer, but okay. they're too valuable right now. Okay. All right. No, but every time I go fishing, I want sushi afterwards. Or when I go to an aquarium, I want sushi afterwards. Sushi, huh? Hmm. I don't do sushi. I've tried many times. But, uh, yeah. Well, good for you guys. That's excellent. That's good. How, are you going to keep scaling up? Uh, we'll see. Um, it's uh, The chicken world is weird right now with the uh, avian flu thing going on. Oh, man, it's unprecedented. 
so yeah, the avian flu in the fowl world is really bad. It might, yeah, it might be a good idea for us to pick up a few in the fall or something, but you know, we'll see how it goes. I was listening to one of Stephen Ranella's many meat eater podcasts out there. Shout out to Stephen Ranella. If you ever want to get on here, Steve, we'd love to have you. Uh, and they were talking about the avian flu. It might have been on Kyle Cunningham's uh, weekly review that he does. But, yeah, the avian flu is, like, really tearing through. They're really watching that. Yeah, it, it, it could be really bad. I, we noticed eggs at the store were, like, $3 a dozen now. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, like, a cheap grocery store. And um, so both eggs and chicken could really go out of sight because – when they find it, they have to kill the whole flock. So yeah. Sometimes they're killing, you know, thousands. Thousands. Of That's sad. So, now do you ever have a, a a raccoon or or something get in and and kill one of your chickens or something? Uh, yeah. Last spring we had our first instance of that. We had we picked up uh, six chicks, and uh, uh, when they were big enough to go outside, but not big enough to be with the other chickens. Um, we had kind of have them separated out and something got in and killed four of them. Oh, so you, you shot fox. a fox starting to get into the, yeah. Yeah. I shot a possum one day that one, one night that was, uh, trying to get in. They'll, okay. They won't really mess with the chickens so much as they'll eat the eggs. Right. Fox in the hen house. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our neighbor down the road lost 20 chickens to foxes. Dang. Really? So. Wow. Foxes are slick. You don't really see them, but they're out there. Yeah, it can be a problem. They're sly, like a fox. Yeah. Well, what are we talking about today? Are we talking about chickens? We are not, although you wouldn't know it from the last six minutes of conversation. Or eggs, no. Foxes, no. What are we talking about today, Jared? We are talking about Santa Ana's leg. This is a good one. This is up there with cereal to me. I, uh... I threw this co- I threw this topic out at John last week because when we finished up recording last week's episode, and he just kind of looked at me like I had three heads. Yeah, it rang a little bit of a bell. I had watched something on. Is the History Channel still a thing? Uh, I think it's still a thing, but I don't know that they show history. I don't okay. know. I haven't watched it. It's like don't have cable, so oh, me neither. I haven't had cable in years, but I think way back on a vacation. See, we got rid of cable way back, and we were going vacation, and I found Deadliest Catch. Uh-huh. On vacation, and also the History Channel. Um, I think I had seen a little something about Santa Ana's leg and right. the state of Illinois and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, this is it's a good one. Yeah, this is one that I had this vague. The reason it ended up on our list of topics, I think, is because I have this vague memory of listening to a podcast where they talked about it. Oh, but then I went looking for said podcast, couldn't find and it. I couldn't find it. Yeah, so. Um, I may have imagined that. I'm not sure where I originally heard this. Heard the story of Santa Ana's leg. Now, memory is a funny thing. It is. We'll have to do one on memory if we don't forget. It could have been something I read a random passing article about, and somehow my brain went, "Oh, this is that was a podcast you listened to." Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard telling. Who is Santa Ana, John? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, at least uh, we can we can get into detail, but at least as far as that the average person might know who okay. he is. Okay. Well, Santa Ana lived during a crazy, crazy time. Um, I believe he's born in 1797. Yeah, you're right. 1794. Excuse me. Oh, close. All right. That was almost a boom, but no. 
So he's, he's born right at the turn of the 1800s there. And uh, so he was around for a lot of action. Um, so let me say this. I did think about this. We have to be careful because I've heard it said that history done studied wrong. History studied in the incorrect way is you taking the time you're living in and projecting it on what you're looking at. Sure. Yeah, and that's the wrong way to study history. So let me say it's this kind of, about this fellow. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like in college where we were told to read a story or a short story or whatever, and um, then the teacher basically asked us what we thought about it. Right. And it's like, no, what we should be trying to get to is what was the author getting across? Right. You know. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't be reading our ideas into something that was written, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years, whatever yeah. period of time. So within eight minutes, we've gone from uh, homegirl chickens laying a buku of eggs to the great postmodern debate <laughs> on, how to, on how to interpret anything from the Constitution to Holy Writ. Welcome to the What Makes Us Human podcast. That's right, baby. That's what makes us human. Wow. Somewhere somebody is screaming at their radio, either yes, 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 or lots of bad words. Um, so let me say this about uh, Santa Ana. He had a really long name, like nine different names all rolled into one. So we'll call him Santa Ana. Uh, you want me to read the whole name? Sure. But you got to do it. You got to do it right. Like if you're going to say hello in Russian, you can't say Zdrasvice. You got to say Zdrasvice. You know what I mean? So with the accent, here we go. I, I don't know that I can do it with the accent. Okay. Antonio de Padua. No, no accent. Maria Severino Lopez de Santa Ana y Perez de Lebron. Oh, this guy missed the SAT because he was filling in the bubbles for his name while everybody else was taking the SAT. All right. So let me tell you about Santa Ana, folks. All right. We live in a time where a person picks a side of the fence and then presses on that the issues of the day from that side of the fence until they die. And they, uh, you know, I think, who was it? Christopher Lash, the author Christopher Lash, that said propaganda is keeping the masses in, constant, in a constant state of panic. Okay. Yeah, and that's a good way to express what we're living in. Um, so be it... Uh, Barack Obama, Donald J. Trump. Um, I was going to throw in Ross Perot, but I don't know if he would fit into that. But you, you see individuals who, they're on one side and be danged. They ain't ever, ever going to leave that side, much less extend a hand over the fence. You know what I mean? To try to come to some sort of agreement. Because they're on their side. Yeah. Now, Santa Ana, he didn't care about the views of his side. He just wanted power. Yeah. Throughout his life. Flippity floppity, flippity floppity. Yeah. He would support a conservative government. And then the next time around, he'd yep. support a liberal government. Yep. Whatever he thought could get him ahead. Yep. And he wasn't much of a politician. He wasn't a very good politician. He's a, he, was a, he was a dictator. He Yes. And he was a pretty good military leader. Yep. And when he did best politically was when he essentially ruled as a military leader. Yeah, but as far as actually like, he didn't really even when he he was president of of Mexico 
multiple times and actually found reports that gave different numbers for the number of times oh, he was president. Times. Yeah. But um, so much time, uh, he really wasn't even interested as much in the actual, you know, when he was first elected, he went, he didn't want it. He went to his estate and let the vice president kind of run right, yes. until the vice president messed it all up and then he came in as the savior, you know. So in your college analogy or metaphor, what he would have said is, what do you think of the book, guys? And then as soon as you start to say it, He'd be like the rock in wrestling and slam his fist on the on the table and say, it doesn't matter what you think of the book, but I wrote it, even if he didn't. Okay. That's exactly what, how that would have rolled. You know, even though everybody in the class knows he didn't write the book. I thought you were going to say he would agree with you until it looked like you were becoming popular and people were agreeing with you, and then he would oppose you. Okay, that would work too. So That might be better. That's definitely what he did with various political leaders throughout this Tumultuous time in uh, Mexican history. Ooh, man. Buckle up, everybody. So we're we're not going to get into all of the details of his military or political career. Right. Just because it's a lot. But, but we can talk about the pastry war a little bit. We can. Okay. That, that, that relates to this directly. All right, Cinnabon. It gets bloody at Cinnabon. Suffice to say, he... He started his military career at 16 years old. Ripe old age of 16. When he joined the Fijo de Veracruz Infantry Regiment. And he essentially worked his way up. He was always looking for opportunities to advance himself. Yeah. Get himself more power. Yeah. And he worked his way up to the point that, you know, eventually he's a general putting down... The seemingly constant rebellions that Mexico is facing during this time. So he would work for the government, putting down a rebellion, and then when the people turned against the president at the time, he would lead a revolt against the, the government. And it was just kind of constant back and forth with him. Constant. But if there's one thing that our probably mostly American listeners associate with Santa Ana, it is... The Alamo. Yeah. So Texas had a tumultuous relationship with Mexico when they were part of Mexico. Because they felt like, essentially, it was a lot like the arguments made for the American Revolution. Hey, we're paying all these taxes to you and you're offering us nothing in return. We have no say. We're not getting any services. During a time of upheaval, Texas declares... You know, it's independence. It's leaving Mexico. And it wasn't the only one. And a lot of Mexican states declared independence during this time. Santa Ana leads a force to go bring Texas back, basically force Texas back into Mexico. They fight at the Alamo. And, uh, you know, most are probably familiar with the story where they kind of hunt, they, 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 they trap them at the Alamo, and they kill everyone. I didn't know prior to this, because I never really looked in the Alamo in detail, but, I mean, it wasn't just like they killed them in battle. It was like after the fact, like executions. Yep. He did the same thing at the Battle of Goliad, also in Texas. But worse, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah a little more people. All of these things, the, the, the Battle of the Alamo, the Battle of Goliad, allowed 
General Houston and his Texas forces a time to coalesce and, and prepare. And they completely routed Santa Ana's much larger army at the Battle of San Jacinto on the 21st of April, 1863. And this is the one where the Texans supposedly shouted, remember Goliad, remember the Alamo. So uh, Goliad is in 1836. Yeah. And then uh, this is, uh, San Jacinto is in 63, right? Is that what you said? Uh, Yes. Okay. The day after the Battle of, of San Jacinto, which is in 18, April 1836, they find General Santa Ana dressed in a dragoon private's uniform hiding in a marsh. Just chilling. <laughs> so they force him, because he's technically president of Mexico at this time, they force him under duress to sign over the recognize the independent republic of texas but while this is happening in mexico city a new government declared that santa ana was no longer president and therefore the treaty was null and void and mexican the mexican congress also rejected the tweet the the tweet the treaty the tweet they rejected the tweet Boy, if Twitter was around for Santa Ana, oh man! I was you went to Twitter. I was thinking Tweety Bird when I said it. So straight to the news, Jack. Santa Ana goes back and forth between exile and returning as this great hero in Mexico, and it's just this constant, you know, back and forth until the Pastry War. What do you know about the Pastry War? So the Pastry War is basically a result of French uh, patriots, I, I guess. Would you mean French ex- expats? French expats. When I say patriots, yeah, French expats that are living uh, in Mexico, especially in and around Mexico City, uh, and basically not getting along, having some confrontations with the Mexican civilians, the citizens, and uh, because of a failure of government and a lack of structure within the Mexican government, um, they're not getting paid for, let's say, uh, like in today's time, maybe broken windows, uh, small events of rioting, um, scuffles amongst people, fights in bars, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they're not getting retribution from the Mexican government for basically huge bills that are coming their way for their businesses. Yeah. They're, they see, the Mex- they, in their view, the Mexican government's not doing enough to, to stop this. And then they're not, when, when they say, well, because you're not doing enough to stop this, you need to pay for what I lost. Private property. And the Mexican government says no. So the reason why it's the pastry war, a pastry chef known as Monsieur, Monsieur, I don't know. Monsieur Remontel. Yes. Lodged a complaint with the French king that in 1832. Louis Philippe. Yes. 
1832, Mexican officers looted his shop. He demanded 6,000 pesos as reparations for the damage, even though his shop was only valued at less than 1,000 pesos. Not where he demanded 60,000. 60,000. Sorry, is that what I was saying? Yeah, yeah, 60,000. 60,000 pesos, pesos, yes. So, in view of his complaint and other similar complaints, and the thing about... His was the straw that broke the camel's yes. bun. <laughs> yeah. The thing about Mexico City that I didn't realize until fairly recently, and it was actually a, uh, it was actually talking about food in Mexico City. Yeah, Mexico City was an international city going way back. Like there is, you know, Turkish influence that goes back to you know before the time we're talking about now. There is. Uh, Lebanese, there's all kinds of different European countries that have influenced Mexico. Mexico City is an international. So there's a lot of French citizens yeah. living in Mexico, and particularly in and around Mexico City. So when Quetzalcoatl landed on Tenochtitlan, it's a big deal. Yep. And you see that on the flag. So ultimately, because of this, the French prime minister demanded that the government of Mexico pay... 600,000 pesos in damages. This is getting better and better, baby. For for not just for the pastry chef's complaint, but kind of for all of these problems. But this was a massive sum because at the time, the typical daily wage in Mexico City was about one peso yep. a day. That's a lot. Yep. Mexico said no. The Mexican president, Anastasio Bustamante, said no. So the king of France ordered a blockade of Mexican ports. Yep. In the Gulf of Mexico. Led by Rear Admiral Charles Baudin. And not just a blockade, but they are to bombard the Mexican fortress of San Juan de Ula and seize the city of Veracruz. Yep, that's a big deal right there. Seizing Veracruz is, that's going to hurt. Yep. Most important one of their. Uh, Gulf Coast ports. Yep. So December 1838, they capture Veracruz and Mexico declares war on France. It's on. In fact, the trade, the embargo, not the embargo, the uh, blockade got so bad that Mexican citizens started smuggling port, smuggling through the port at Corpus Christi, then part of the Republic of Texas. Not good. To the point that the newly appointed Republic of Texas was concerned that France might attack them. Right, yeah. To stop this. It got so bad that the U.S. sent the schooner Woodbury to help the French in their blockade to try to prevent them from going after, prevent them from having a need to go after Corpus Christi or, or any American ports. Thinking that's two or three steps ahead. Yep. So, Santa Ana... Comes out of his retirement, looks at the defenses in Veracruz, and tells the government, I can beat them. They gave him an order to fight the French by any means necessary. And he led them against the French and fought them at the Battle of Veracruz. 1838. Yep. This is where Santa Ana's leg and hand were wounded by grape shot. Yeah, so, you know, this is the, it's basically like a shotgun shell, but cannon-sized. You know, yep. it's a lot of little 
pieces of shot. In the left leg. Yeah, and it damaged his ankle so bad that they had to amputate a good portion of his leg. <laughs> he has his leg treated to full military honors, parade through the streets of Mexico City, and he really uses this to catapult himself back into power. The hero of Veracruz. And his leg is buried. His leg is buried. Yep. Until about a year later, when public sentiment turned against him right. for ruling as a dictator, at which point they dug up his leg and drug it through the streets until there was nothing left of it. That's so weird. Yep. So they can't get a hold of him, so they get a part of his leg that's six feet underground and dig it up. Yep. So because of this, he has a prosthetic wooden and cork leg. During the... So he actually had two. One for like big time meetings and stuff, and then one for, you know, going to get a bag of chips and a cherry Coke at the house. You know yeah, what I'm saying? He, yeah. he has like a, yeah, he has a... He's got a an actual leg and then a prosthetic cork and wood leg, and then he has a peg leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So during the Mexican-American War, during the Battle of Cerro Gorda, members of the Illinois State, it wouldn't have been National Guard yet, I don't think. No. It would have been militia, I, I suppose, yeah. state militia. Capture Santa Ana flees in such a hurry that they managed to get his prosthetic leg. To capture his prosthetic leg as a prize of war, prize of battle. Along with like a tent stake, a sash, and something else. There's a couple of things they get. Yep. The prize is the really nice leg. Yep. Fake leg. His other leg, the peg leg, was also captured by the 4th Illinois oh, okay. Regiment. And was reportedly used by the soldiers as a baseball bat. Awesome. Okay. Uh, it is currently on display at the home of the Illinois Governor Richard J. Oglesby, who served in the regiment. So Doubleday would have been proud. His prosthetic cork and wooden leg remains as a war trophy to this day in the Illinois State Military Museum. I would love but it to is see. No longer on display. Oh, really? Yep. No longer on display. Yep. Why? It's uh, in the last couple decades, it's really become a, a, a point of international politics and even national politics. Well, now the Texans want it. Texans want it, but they're not even, it's not even clear what their claim to it is. But who wants it internationally? Mexico wants it. Okay. And a group of students in the U.S. want it to give to Mexico. Oh, I thought you were going to say like the French wanted it. No. Okay, all right. Mexico wants it. I got you. And in fact... In 1942, a bill was introduced by the state legislature to return of Illinois to return the leg to Mexico oh. as an act of goodwill. So they passed a non-binding resolution to return it, but the National Guard denied the transfer. Really? To me, that was the most mind-boggling thing of this whole, where the state legislature was like, yeah, return it, and the military was like, no. Wow. It was a non-binding resolution, but still. It still resides in the Illinois State Military Museum in Springfield. In a closet or something. Yep. Not on display. Not on display. Now remember, folks, this is his fake leg. Yes. His real one was buried with military honors and then dug up and drug through the city. Till it was... Till there was nothing left of it. Right. Yeah. 
It makes you wonder. I wonder what it looked like, depending on how long it had been buried. I wonder. It was about a year it had been buried, but Ooh. it was wounded in battle, and yeah, I mean, probably gangrenous or whatever. Because it was nasty. So, you know how nasty that must have been. Yep. Sick. Okay. So yeah, when I first came across this, I was just absolutely fascinated by the idea that Santa Anna's leg is in a museum in Illinois. Yeah. Have you seen? Did you see pictures of it? I did. Yeah. So it's weird. <laughs> it's one of those weird things in history that's like, wait, how did that happen? They took his leg as a war trophy and it's in the museum. Yeah. To this day. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, Santa Ana goes, continues to go back and forth between being hated in Mexico and being the savior of Mexico. Eventually, he's exiled, spends time in Cuba, ends up in New York. Yeah, New York, yeah. And when he's in New York, he has a chickle uh, brought to him. Oh, here we go. We're going to, okay, uh, we're going to talk about this. Nice. And uh, him and the guy who was responsible for trying to help him introduce this to try to make some money as a replacement for rubber. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Adams. Instead, basically invent chewing gum. So... Santa Ana wanted it to be a tire repair kind of thing. Yeah, rubber replacement. Yeah, for a hole in your tire. Yep. Tires were way more fussy back then. And, uh, yeah, they added some flavoring. And uh, so that's the chewing. They were chewing on it anyway. Yeah, they're chewing on it anyway. Yeah, so Adam's like, yeah, add some flavoring and we have a chiclet. The chiclet, yep. And then, uh, of course, what's-his-face in America, uh, Wrigley um, goes. Now, Wrigley does juicy fruit, right? Wrigley does a, a bunch of them. Yeah. And Juicy Fruit is not really a fruit. It's just a made-up flavor yeah. that they just happen to nail. And people love Juicy Fruit. Yep. I like Juicy Fruit. I haven't had Juicy Fruit in a long time. But yeah, yeah, Wrigley does Big Red and Double Mint and Spare Mint. I like Big Red. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, he tried to get rich off of it. It didn't work out. He was married. To, Santa Ana was married twice. Attended neither wedding. <laughs> yeah, but Hannah just looked at me uh, like I'm crazy. So both marriages were solely for uh, financial reasons. He loved money, so and he burned through it. And then he would marry a rich, younger woman, um, and didn't he ne- never attended either one of his own weddings. Yep, he was eventually pardoned and allowed to return to Mexico by the president at the time. Um, which he spent basically the last year of his life. By that point, he was, I believe, blind and deaf and could barely walk. Um, but he returned to Mexico and died. What year was that? That was... 1870-something? 1876. He was 82 years old. Wow, he lived a long time for back then. Yep. You know? Yes and no. We've had a discussion around the fact that... Uh, the idea that people didn't live as long is kind of skewed by yeah. the number of infants dying and all of that. That's true. Like yeah. You still have people living to 70 and 80 and whatever. But yeah. But for a soldier, he lived a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> somebody who lost his leg. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, you got the go- You lose a leg, man. You got that golden hour. Of course, it was taken surgically. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like it blew his whole leg off or anything. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that is... Santa Anna's leg, currently in a museum in Illinois. I enjoyed the pastry war thing. I got, I kind of went down a couple of rabbit holes with the pastry war. Um, very interesting stuff. I had no idea up until this week or so about 
how much French Mexico interplay there really was back then. So that's really interesting. I learned a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is interesting though that the French government would get involved to basically to starting a war with that. Yeah. Because I mean, it would be like a U.S. city gets burned and Turkey is upset that you know some of their immigrants had their shops looted and yeah. Turkey declares war on us, kind of thing. So I think it goes to show how often this kind of thing had been happening. Had had to possibly. It could also just be France was a lot bigger and Mexico was constantly infighting, so maybe they just saw that as an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're only going to get into it because they think they can win. Right. We should do one on the Zimmerman note at some point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. All right. Anything else? I don't think so. I was going to say, uh, I hope your your girls back home can continue laying lots of eggs. <laughs> we started with that. So, hey, is it true that if, if you put a bunch of chickens in a chicken house... If you if you start uh, that that you can fool them and make them lay an extra egg by turning the lights off for a little while and then turn them back on, no, um, it's got two answers. You can, so they really want like I think it's twelve hours of light a day to lay. So okay. in the wintertime, if you don't add artificial light, they they'll kind of stop laying and won't lay as much. Okay, um, so you can kind of affect that, but ultimately it's very rare for a chicken to lay more than one egg a day. Um, so you can't like trick them with lights to get them to lay two a day or anything like that. Okay. So you can you can make them think it's daylight longer, um, so they keep laying. But they're hard to trick. All right. Well, next week is episode fifty-five. Five. Yep. Yeah. So maybe we'll do Sammy Hagar and a song. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hopefully, you got a good topic for us. Yes. I will tell you momentarily. All right. All right. Well, you can uh, find us on social media at WMUH Podcast, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We've started putting uh, the audio from our episodes up on YouTube as slowly as I can get them up there. Uh, it's uh, taking longer than I expected, but we'll get we'll get them there. Last week's is up there. Awesome. You can definitely find that. You can email us, WMUHpodcast at gmail.com. If you have seen Santa Anna's leg, we'd love to hear from you. Oh, gosh, yes, we would love, which means you probably live in Illinois. I feel like it's one of those things that... Or had a nerdy vacation. Because Route 66 starts around, like, south of Chicago. I feel like that's, that's one of those roadside attractions that would be advertised. Yeah. You know... Me and you would stop Route 66. You know, back in the day. We would stop for that. Oh, 100%. 100%. If there was a billboard that said, see Santa Ana's leg, I'm stopping. Yeah, we're stopping for that. Like, what is this? I got to see this. Yeah. And now we know what it is. Yep. All right. We'll see you next week. Oh, rate, like, and subscribe. Absolutely. See you next week, peeps.